0: Hanif Baharudin and this is GG Well Played the show that talks about all things video games ahead of the release of the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 movie in Malaysia this week we're going to retrace the franchise's success and downfall on the gaming front but before that here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ofnil Ting and Daryl Ong
1: Thank you Hanif Let's kick off this week's news with a bit of rumour that has been quashed. Superstar producer Hideo Kojima has denied that Kojima Productions will be joining Sony after he himself posted a banner of the PlayStation Studios in a cryptic tweet that of course in this day and age invited wild speculation. Hideo posted a picture of the PlayStation Studios banner that contained first-party games from Sony as well as Death Stranding. This tweet blew up with people assuming that this is Hideo announcing that Kojima Productions has joined PlayStation Studios.
2: Yeah, but 10 minutes later, Kojima posted another tweet clarifying that Kojima Productions is still an independent company. Kojima and his studio has a close relationship with Sony, with Kojima Productions using Guerrilla Games' Decima engine for their flagship title, Death Stranding. Kojima also announced his new studio alongside Sony during the PlayStation event at E3 2015. But it does make us wonder wonder why he randomly posted the photo if it's not to invite speculation. Ironically, Hideo Kojima was also once rumoured to be interested in joining Microsoft, so he's kind of known to invite this kind of speculation one way or another.
1: But for now, the studio will remain independent as they slowly work towards producing their new IP. Okay, moving on. CD Projekt Red has vowed to continue supporting their much-maligned game Cyberpunk 2077 and said that the game's first expansion is scheduled to be released in 2023. CD Projekt Red president Adam Kinchensky said this during an earnings call recently, claiming that the expansion for the game is currently being developed by multiple
2: agile teams. Yeah, this comes as the company is also beginning to switch their attention to the next installment of the highly successful Witcher franchise. It's a company recently announcing that They'll be using Epic Games Unreal Engine 5 for the development of that franchise moving forward. This means abandoning their in-house Raid Engine Tech, which has been developed to support most of their IPs, including Cyberpunk 2077. Kaczynski's most recent statement here basically confirmed that CD Projekt Raid has no intention of letting Cyberpunk 2077 go. As always, let's give them space and see what they can do and achieve with the game, despite the well-documented problems and little victories that have been dominating the franchise ever since it was released two years ago.
1: From one troubled title to another... Konami has announced the release of version 1.0.0 of its troubled flagship football title, eFootball 2022. But this so-called full version still does not include features that diehard fans want and love. The modes missing include Master League,
2: Team Play, Co-op, Match Lobby and Edit. And Konami, under the game's official Twitter account, has asked for patience as they work towards getting these modes included in future updates. No dates given as of yet, but then again, give them time to work on it, right? It's not easy for them to regain the trust and if they can redeem themselves, fans might be able to find it within themselves to give the game and the company a chance again.
1: But in the meantime, do let us know if you want to check out the new 1.0.0 update and see whether it's worth our time. Let us know. Up next, cult hit No More Heroes 3, previously only available on Nintendo Switch, will now be heading to PS5, Xbox and PC later this year. These versions will come in the fall of 2022, which is around September to December this year, and will come with some upgrades that includes
2: Improved HD visuals, faster loading times, and improved frame rates. That's right. The pop will be handled by XSEED Games, which has worked on the part of both No More Heroes 1 and 2 previously. Looks exciting, and this will be good news for fans who want to enjoy the game, but not on Nintendo's platform. Alright, last but not least, Sucker Punch has reportedly released the final planned patch for the hit title, Ghost of Tsushima, after working on the game for close to two years. The final patch of the game is patch 2.18, and in a note, the company said that they are not, and I quote, actively working on any additional patches at the moment.
1: That means that the company will not be producing any new fresh content for the game, which also means that they can now focus on their next project, whatever that is. Regardless, Sucker Punch will continue to monitor any feedback for any high priority bugs or issues that will need fixing.
2: Yeah, Ghost of Tsushima became a huge success for the company ever since it was released in 2020, with the company releasing a multiplayer component for the game called Ghost of Tsushima Legends as well as Director Cut for the game last year now even a uh, ghost of Tsushima film is in the works with Sony Pictures exciting stuff that's all we have for this week's news back to you Hanif
0: thank you very much Daryl and Offnil oh
2: boy hey, ah
3: Hawaii
1: I just hope we're not too late oh lord there are two of them now
3: what's happening uh, okay quick version Robotnik is back oh! I've discovered the source of ultimate power. We need to get it back or the world is doomed. You rock some kind of space porcupine.
0: I am an echidna warrior. Sonic the Hedgehog movie that was released a couple of years ago got a sequel and the sequel will be released here in Malaysia this week so we figured that it's perhaps the best time to look at one of video games most iconic mascots that is still as popular despite a less than stellar history on the video gaming front these days joining me to do this is the content director from kakuchupuri.com Jonathan Leo. Jonathan has watched the second movie and he's gonna start by sharing his thoughts on it
3: oh the second movie yes I've seen it I actually enjoyed it Because I'm a big Sonic fan in a sense, like I've been playing the games in the 90s era and even the not-so-good ones in the Dreamcast and the multi-platform era of Sonic. But generally, the movie itself is fun. It's a huge improvement over the first movie because it's a bigger spectacle and there's more focus on the new characters that are on the poster, Tails and Knuckles. They made their first movie entrance in this particular Sonic canon. So if you have kids, you got nephews, you should bring them to go along for the fun ride. Just a reminder that whatever bits that you hated about the first film, they're kind of amplified in the second film. So if you did not like Ben Schwartz's uh, Sonic character, you know, making pop culture quips here and there, and some of the human-related gags with James Marston and other side characters, they're—I mean—they're kind of downplayed in a sense. But the quips are still there and they're existing. So those. Mistakes weren't really erased. I mean, it's a kid's movie. It's an all-ages ages movie, so it's expected. But if you didn't like those elements, they're toned down, but if you want them excised from the second Sonic movie, you're kind of out of luck. So generally, it's a fun movie. I'd say I gave it like a 6 or a 7 out of 10. It's fun. It doesn't change out much of the formula. It's just a big improvement over the first film. Just, you know, bigger spectacle and more action and, you know, more focus on the correct elements, which is basically CGI animals fighting against... Scientist played by Jim Carrey's character, so it's basically like playing like this sort of the same character like in Batman Forever and like the Riddler, but plus plus and you know with the mustache and everything. So it's kind of fun to watch.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I was I won't say pleasantly surprised, but I was surprised that I didn't hate the first movie as much. To be honest, <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe it's worth checking out the second movie as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, and it's also a good indicator that you know video game movies can work in that spectrum. Because this Sonic 2 movie opened in the US to like really big numbers. I think it was number one in the box office. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's a lot of ticket sales. I'm not sure about worldwide release because Sonic 2 itself was released in different tiers. By the time this podcast is out, I believe the show will be out on the following Thursday, on the 21st of April. I mean, other regions actually got it first, while other regions will get the movie later. So it's like basically an April timeline. So we we'll, we have to wait until a month or or maybe a couple of weeks until we see actual worldwide box office sales, but it's safe to say that this is probably the biggest video game movie of twenty twenty two.
0: Okay, that's great, right? And that's the thing. Uh, I mean, you're you're a you're a long time gamer, right? And I think once upon a time, I grew up with the narrative of you know how Sonic is such a great franchise, but I guess. I don't know whether it's still as relevant these days, but okay, but we're gonna touch on that later. But let's let's go back to the beginning, right? You know, um how, how did I guess Sega decide to create the, the the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise? Yeah.
3: Well, I don't think they started off wanting to make a franchise. They just, they just wanted to make a game that could make the Mega Drive they were selling in 1989 trying to stand out. While the game had great arcade ports didn't have that one kick, you know, like how Nintendo had Mario back in the day in the NES and even the upcoming Super Nintendo at the time. Sega actually needed that particular kick. So after a lot of like background design and a lot of artwork being tossed around here and there, the main designer for Sonic came out with the idea for a hedgehog. Well, it was actually a rabbit first and then it was a hedgehog, Naoto Oshima. He was a man responsible for Sonic's look and the first game's more 3D CGI kind of angular look. If you notice the backgrounds in Sonic 1 and 2, Sonic 1 is a bit more CGI, basic CGI-ish in a sense. It's like the polygonal artwork back in the 80s, whereas Sonic 2 was more like conventional in a sense. Now, of course, the more important people are Hirokazu Yashuhara, the designer for most of the games the level design, everything and the product and the design and everything. Yuji Naka, who was known for programming and making sure that the scrolling was fast for all three Sonic games. And Masato Nakamura, who was actually the important sound man behind both the Sonic games, part one and part two. And plus, he was actually a renowned artist at the time. He was actually the bass player for a Japanese group called Dream Come True. Uh, But yeah, he was actually the man responsible for the great soundtrack from Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2 like the iconic sound the Green Hill Zone Emerald Hill Zone and all the other tunes that fall along with it so generally yes all these characters as well as Mark Cerny who was actually the head of uh, Sega Technical Institute at the time were also instrumental in the success of Sega because of Sonic whereas Sonic actually was released in 991 to great acclaim because of its graphics its gameplay and its you know Because it's the first time people actually saw a momentum-based platformer. You compare this to a game like maybe Super Mario Bros. 3 or even Super Mario World, it's actually slow by comparison. And that was actually the marketing tool that Sega had to counter Nintendo's products and console. So basically in 1991 all the way to 1992 and onward, Sega basically took the market share for video games away from Nintendo. They were basically neck-to-neck because of the launch of Sonic 2. Which was basically the biggest video game launch, like the very first major video game launch that was really big. I believe it was US 10 million. They actually spent a campaign for that. This is like 1992 money, so you know inflation is probably bigger right now, right? So you gotta remember October 992 Leading up to that month, that was when Sonic 2 had to be created within like I think from 991. Like I think it was probably it was less than a year they had to create a sequel. Yeah, it was so big. And then they had to make more levels for the game. They used the same engine. Yuji Naka basically just sped up the game and used like different programming tricks to make sure that the game didn't eat up a lot of memory and it could fit and it could actually ship in time. And they did. They actually make it to the shipping in October 9, 1992. The game was actually shipped worldwide to every distributor. They had like a... It was a huge ceremony. I believe they called it Sonic Tuesday. Like two and then Tuesday. It was, it was really clever and big marketing at the time. So Sega had a lot of professionals in the American side. Anyway, don't forget it's the American side. There are a lot of professionals at the side to make sure that it came out big. Not just gamers knew about it, but non-gamers knew about Sonic. Not just the first game, but the upcoming second game. So a big marketing push plus like a bigger and better game with a better soundtrack and better level design and even some memorable stages and hooks as well as the addition of Tails as a second player. That was actually what made Sonic really, really big and just made Sega the juggernaut that it was from 1991
0: onward. Mm. Yeah, so, so compared to compared to Mario, I think um, the appeal of Sonic uh, was the fact that it's a momentum-based platformer, right? Um, I mean, the sense of speed, you know, replicating that sense of speed um, in, using that kind of technology is pretty important. And
3: also how edgy it was because Sega's Mega Drive was actually meant for like an older market in a sense because Nintendo has been branded as an all-ages Kitty kind of platform back in the day. So to counterpoint that, Sega had to go for like the adult age. So older gamers would prefer to play a Madden or play a more quote-unquote mature game. So Sonic was like the anti-establishment icon to Mario's conventional design. So you can see how one works against the other. And then because it was the 90s, it was that period where people wanted more of like a radical kind of movement. Like, you know why people picked Apple over, over DOS back in the day, right? The PC? Because of how radical it was. It's the same idea, like, except Sega had somehow had $10 million plus down the pocket and they just used that marketing dollars to high end, you know, and it actually succeeded for a time. So, great job on that side to actually get that market share. Mm. Was Sonic
0: also used to showcase, I guess, Sega's quote-unquote superior console or just like, is it just more of, my, more of marketing actually?
3: Oh, it's actually a bit of both. I mean, marketing plays a good role, but it was also a technological marvel, In a sense, marketing created the term blast processing, which is actually fake. There's no such thing. But then on the technological standpoint, Yuji Naka showcased the fact that the Sega can do really, really fast parallax scrolling. And through some like little life hacks here and there, he actually makes the momentum-based thing felt like you're speeding through the stage really, really fast and well because of the way the stage scroll. That was something that was unheard of back in 1991, 1992. So to have a game like that being showcased next to a more slower paced game like Mario or Super Mario World or even Mario Kart back in the day, it just shows that people wanted to go towards the more bigger and better console, which was the 16-bit Mega Drive or Sega Genesis back in the US. So yeah, both marketing and technological achievements play a huge part in making Sega the biggest standout among the competition.
0: Yeah, but in the creation of Sonic, they're also looking at a gaming mascot, essentially. right? A, a mascot, an icon that can somehow, I guess, represent the console, right? Yeah, if you think about it, um, once upon a time, that was the era where, yeah, a mascot is pretty important, right? Even when PlayStation came around, you know, Crash Bandicoot was, I think, PlayStation's mascot one way or another? If you think yes, about it? yes,
3: that's correct. Um, at around that time, I think when the PlayStation came out, people were still in that whole mascot platformer mentality before shooters and more serious 3D games that propping up back and forth. So that's why you see games like Bug on Sega Saturn or Crash Bandicoot or even Klonoa from Bandai Namco or Croc. <laughs> Croc, the crocodile little dude or even Tomba on the PlayStation because every company needed to have their own platformer. I believe PlayStation back in the day had Spyro, Crash and PlayStation 2 was probably Ratchet & Clank just to showcase technology as well as having a cute face to it. Even Naughty Dog, before they went serious with the Uncharted games, they had Jack and Dexter 1, 2, and 3. That was a mascot platformer, 100%. But in a different perspective. But at the same time, because it was basically the trend sign of the times, like people had to gravitate towards that before Grand Theft Auto took over and made everyone want to create their own open-world sandbox crime game. So just like how fighting games trended, back in the 90s, so too did mascot platformers trended with Arrow the Acrobat and a bunch of others which there are just too many to mention honestly, but obviously Mario and Sonic are the most important ones because one was the yin, the other was the yang, neither was good or bad, it was basically just your preference. Whether you like the more conventional Nintendo or you want the more edgy Mega Drive, it's really up to you.
0: We've been talking about Sonic the Hedgehog, the gaming franchise, and its relationship with Sega. And that was Jonathan Leo, Content Director at kakuchupure.com. We're going to make way for some messages. More Sonic after this. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, listening to Gigi Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharuddin. Joining me on the show this week is Jonathan Leo. He's the content director at gaming website kakuchopore.com. He's also a huge Sonic fan and he's been helping us look back at the history of the franchise ahead of the film's sequel release in Malaysian cinemas this week. He's touched on how crucial Sonic is in contributing to the success of Sega's consoles in the early 90s. And we're going to continue from there, tracing more of their success stories and eventual downfall.
3: Sega, well, for the Sonic... Franchise it grew with Sonic 3 and Knuckles in '94. Both games came out around the same period. For, for those who did not know, they were actually supposed to be one big game, but because of scheduling issues and, and shipping deadlines, they had to ship Sonic 3 first. They shipped half of the game first and then the other half later through like some technology, like Lock-On technology, which is also another, another marketing spin. But basically, if you combine the Sonic 3 game on top of the Sonic & Knuckles cartridge, you get the full Sonic 3 experience. But generally, Sonic had... Basically, like, the highlight of his life was basically from 91 to 94. And then between the Sega add-on issues with the 32X and Sega CD and the Sega Saturn, there was no new major Sonic game that came out because Sega management weren't sure what they were doing. That's basically a whole entire topic on its own, but long story short, Sega Japan management was terrible at their job in a sense the America, Sega of America was very fed up. I think the leader, CEO left because he was fed up with how the Japanese side was handling things. And then it was downhill from there. Lah, let's just say that.
0: Mm. Downhill that um, to an extent maybe contributed to... We, how how, how did, did they contribute to each other? Like which one led to another's downfall?
3: It was mostly the Sega management downfall which led to Sonic not having a... A good platform to be on because there was supposed to be a Sonic Extreme game coming out on Sega Saturn, but that was put on hold or it was even outright cancelled because Sega Saturn sales weren't doing so hot because of the PlayStation being the juggernaut that it was back in the day around that, that 94, 5, 6 period. PlayStation basically beat Saturn. And to an extent, they beat Nintendo in their own game as well because the N64 came out around that time. No, no, I think it was around... Yeah, I think it was later on. But generally, PlayStation was the king lah, around that time. And Sega was still struggling. And then they released the Dreamcast in 1999, around that period, because of uh, September 9, 1999, it was like a nice year thing. So it was good marketing. But because of the mistakes from the Sega Saturn and the 32X and the Sega Saturn CD, uh, it was a bit too little too late. la. Basically, Sega was losing so much money that they had to actually get pulled out of bankruptcy and become a third-party company. So I think it was around 2002 that the first ever Sonic game, Sonic Adventures 2, ended up on Nintendo's rival platform, the GameCube. So that was like the time when Sega lost the console wars, lah, in a sense. And it was like a year before that was actually the PlayStation 2, and there was also the Xbox One as well, around that time, a few years prior.
0: Mm. did sega's console demise effectively i guess ruin sonic's popularity and the sales even
3: it was definitely the failure of sega's way of handling the console wars the sales and everything as well as like how sonic adventures came out see when sonic adventures came out around 98 99 a lot of the fan base was very split and then the divide actually got further and further like more apparent when sonic adventures 2 came out in 2001 which is basically the last dreamcast game featuring sonic and his characters and pals so because the game was 3d there were a lot of courses and then there was a homing attack with sonic with the sonic spin and everything so there had to be a lot of mechanical changes and speeding around here and there so a lot of people actually liked the 2d format of sonic But because of 3D, how how 3D was in huge demand, the developers really didn't have much of a choice, but they had to go with the times. So they had to make a Sonic game work the way it should, like a 3D action-adventure title, like a platformer title. But a lot of people were just divided, basically. They did not even like the look of the new Sonic for the 3D games. Sonic Adventures, Sonic Adventures 2, and so forth, even Heroes and whatnot. So it was basically like an identity crisis around Sega, as well as... Them, you know, at the time they were losing so much money because of the the three thirty two X, the Sega CD, and even the Sega Saturn to an extent. I mean, Dreamcast was a saving grace, but it was like too late. I mean, that could that should have been the that should have been the Sega Saturn in in retrospect, lah. But once done is done. They made the bad decisions, so they had to pay for it and become a third party company. So yeah, I think one it's basically like a domino effect to answer your question is one over the other. One had to happen for Sonic to basically fail. Because without a good company to have that quality of approval as well as the consoles, there's really, I mean, if there's no platform for the character to have the game on, you can't really have a game on, right? Unless you are willing to go third party, right? So,
0: mm. But they did eventually go third party and if I'm not mistaken, the game is available across a lot of platforms, right? Uh, yeah, so. Sonic
3: Adventures 2, yeah, it came. That was actually the first multi-platform Sonic game that was actually on the rival console as well as on PS2 to an extent. And follow-ups were Sonic Heroes and I think there was a Sonic snowboarding game. I totally forgot. There were so many of these. But I can also tell you like that also wasn't really one of uh, Sega's best moments in handling the franchise. I think Sega was actually getting a bit more success from the Yakuza game which came out on the PS2 back in the day. It was, I think it was uh, 2004, four, five, or six around those years because you know like how the market was shifting towards sandbox games or Grand Theft Auto style games. So Sega had to create their own. Little did they know that their version of a GTA game, which was Yakuza, Ryuga Gotoku, was basically their biggest meal ticket, lah, even up till now. Like, you look at the store, Yakuza 7 is still the most popular game right now. And Judgment itself is actually a spinoff of a Yakuza.
0: Yeah, but, but that era also, um, to some extent, as much as, I guess, people are developing a different kind of taste for the different types of games, uh, like you said uh, earlier, other platforms still have, you know... Uh, PlayStation still have Richard and Klang and Jen. that's the, yeah. But but essentially, there is still a taste for icon mascot based platformer at that time.
3: You could say it's a niche genre around that time because Sega did try their hand at making a couple of new Sonic games on different platforms. But the transition for Sonic in three D was, I think Sega still did not know what they wanted to do. So so before Sonic Generations came out, which was two thousand eleven they were really trying their best to make a decent Sonic game on 3D. And it like it's either mixed or it's a huge failure. The biggest failure was the 2006 Sonic the Hedgehog game for Xbox 360, PlayStation 3. Actually, I don't think it came out on PlayStation 3, come to think of it. Maybe. I think that part was cancelled because that game was so broken and bugged, they couldn't release it on any other platform. So it was the worst version of the lot. There was also Sonic Unleashed where they had a really good bunch of platforming and speeding momentum-based segments until they added in a section where Sonic can become a werewolf for some reason, and it was like a action game. I don't know, Sega was pretty high at the time, so I really don't know what happened there. So this was in 2008, mind you, so there were a lot of like... Oh, and that was actually Sonic and the Black Knight, which was a, a Nintendo Switch-exclusive lackluster pl- uh, Sonic game. I think it was like just really, really basic to play. It was a game meant for kids, unfortunately, so... It's, um, yeah, Sega really did not know what to do back then. And I think even after Sonic Generations came out, they were still, like, they did not know who else could make a better Sonic game. And, yeah, it wasn't wasn't really the brightest time for Sonic fans. To the point where if you go look up Sonic the Hedgehog on, like, Google, you find, like, really negative, connotative kind of artwork on Sonic. So, that was basically, like... He was a punchline on in the internet, lah, like, between 2003 onward, like, until, I guess still now, lah, up till now, he was still a meme.
0: See, see that's the thing, right? You, you would think that at one point, Sega would probably try to, I guess, give up on the franchise one way or another, but they seem to be trying and trying to develop new games for it, right? Does that mean that there is still a demand, or is it just a matter of them feeling the responsibility to still keep Sonic? alive one way or another it
3: is definitely the latter because there was really not much of a huge demand for 3d platformers i think around this time i think a decade decade up till now it's always it's been a niche kind of uh category for people to there are only a set of people who actually would want to buy a 3d platformer for like a good price let alone full price like 60 us so to have sonic the hedgehog come out in 2006 was a ballsy move but it wasn't a smart move and because the game was so bugged and broken, it wasn't the best decision in hindsight. I mean, if it was a decent game that worked out like Cameo or or even like a new Jack and Dexter-style type game, then it would have succeeded. But it didn't. And um, yeah, I think... Yeah, it was the company's obligation because they are making money off uh, the Yakuza games. Very, really big money. And then because of a Sega buying over Atlas. Then they have the RPG division sorted because Atlus creates the Persona games and the Shin Megami Tensei games. So Sega are fine in terms of like being relevant in the market. But for Sonic himself, I think once in a while, Sega will try to experiment. And little did they know that a 2017 experiment they did actually worked out really well to its favor. That game was Sonic Mania, where they actually hired people who created previous Sonic fan games from 2003 onward onto the project. So, Christian Whitehead was actually a guy who created Sonic fan games f- throughout the, you know, when sites like Newgrounds were very popular or, you know, Flash games were really big. So, he made those kind of games. And then, to have him on board to make a really awesome Sonic 2D game Sonic that Sega has ever published is a huge honor lah and a really smart move from Sega's part.
0: Mm. Who would have thought that, you know, going back to 2D was perhaps uh, the, be- the-, the
3: best decision? The better option, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, technically, they did go back in uh, 2008 and nine Sonic the Hedgehog 4. But in retrospect, that was a terrible game because it was actually, it, it played like a mobile port because it was originally supposed to be a mobile game. But they ended up being on the PlayStation 3 and on Xbox. It played like a mobile game. It looked like a mobile game. So it was pretty bad. That was a Sonic Hedgehog four, so just to remind you. <laughs> <laughs> so on
0: top on top of I guess um, feeling a sense of responsibility towards the franchise, are they even trying to capture new new like new audience with this with this franchise? Like because considering that the fact that I guess towards the next time maybe they're just serving the loyal fans right who are still I guess uh, have not given up yet on the franchise. So, but are, are they at the same time trying to also capture new audiences?
3: I think they did. There was actually a uh, Sonic cartoon that came out on cartoon network that also had like a sega game the game was pretty terrible but the cartoon may have a bit of a fan base and let's not forget the archie comics itself they actually had like a sonic comic with its own storyline and everything approved by sega yeah i think they even had like a crossover with Mega Man at one point which is actually pretty awesome but that was its own timeline so there were still sonic fans it's just in different circuits there's one of the comics there's also fans for the the Cartoon Network TV show that came out, and then I think there's an upcoming Sonic uh, show coming out on Netflix, as well as the movies, that, uh, the 2020 movie that came out and this year's Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I believe there is still a market, there, Sega is still trying to get that Sonic market, but for all ages. So they're just going back to basics. They're just going back to what Sonic was and not what Sonic had become in 3D. So I believe the correct method of them doing it right i mean i guess what they're doing right now is correct but they had to take it in stride because the mascot boom wasn't as big compared to 1991 to 1992 so basically no us 10 million budget lah maybe um less than that <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: but they seem to be persevering so do you think that they will ever like i guess recapture the their yeah, their past glories
3: recapture their past glories not exactly but if they play their cards right and make another Sonic Mania 2 and if they make the same kind of movies that they're doing right now, then they should be okay. I mean, Sonic will still be relevant, don't get me wrong. He has been an icon that everyone's remembered either for good or for ill or in memes and whatnot. I mean, everyone remembers the Sonic cycle, right? Like they introduce the game, people are happy and then the game comes out, they're depressed and there's acceptance. like The four stages of Sonic grief, I believe. But generally, yes, Sonic will still be relevant, whether as a good or a bad icon. I mean, yes, there's more... I mean, I guess right now there's more good than bad, but I always remember the fact that I wouldn't get into gaming if were it were not for Sonic and Mega Drive. I mean, I wouldn't even like popular music right now, like in the 90s, if it weren't for the magic music of Masato Nakamura. Um, the Basically, the guy who... Yeah, Masato Nakamura, the guy who made the music for Sonic 1 and Sonic 2. Without him, I don't think I would have appreciated music like from rock groups and whatnot up to this day.
0: Mm, all right. Yeah. So so the legacy Sonic's legacy is still around and will still be around for for a while, you think. Right? Oh,
3: for a while. He will in, he will basically influence children to, you know, like the type the type of games that he was in and whatnot. But I think the parents who are monitoring the children should turn the safe switch. Turn on because there is quite a huge number of Sonic porn and, <laughs> and pornography and whatnot so just watch out
0: <laughs> alright okay so uh, for gamers out there who like to I guess revisit you know the, the glory days of the games available out there you know what, what, what version of Sonic can you recommend considering that there are, there are a lot of different iterations and some are bad some are good yeah which one can they look out for
3: oh this is the easiest question to answer you can just play Sonic Mania which is like The best of hits of Sonic with a bunch of new levels. Sonic Mania is out on PC and basically every console out there, even Nintendo Switch. So if you want like a good classic 2D Sonic game that feels brand new, yeah, just play Sonic Mania. If you want to revisit the past, you should play Sonic 1, 2, 3 and Knuckles. Just these four games. Yeah, you should play these four. They should be available in the Sega Mega Drive Collection anywhere on Steam or on PlayStation or Xbox or Switch. Sonic games are available everywhere. You just have to pick the correct one to play. As for the 3D Sonic games, I wouldn't recommend it, but if you really, really want to play a good 3D Sonic game, you could just play Sonic Colors. They recently re-released that last year. I reviewed it. Despite one or two bugs, which hopefully is fixed right now, the game itself is great. I mean, it's a good 3D Sonic game that encapsulates what was great about, like, the new age Sonic. So Sonic Colors should be available... PlayStation 4 Xbox Nintendo Switch and I'm not sure if it's on PC yet maybe just double check so it could be on PC so yeah just check those games out I mentioned
0: You're tuned into GG World and that was Jonathan Leo. He's the content director at Kakochopori.com and he's been talking about the success and failure of the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise ever since that spiky blue hedgehog zips its way into our lives in the early 90s. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on pfm.my. our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif. Thanks for joining us. Game on and please take care. This has been GG Well Played. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9 The Business Station.